Hey, it's Antoinette, and welcome to another episode of the Hormone Heartbeat Podcast. In today's episode, we are talking about how to optimize your libido for any stage of life and what underlying factors may be leading to you feeling like you don't have the same mojo that you had in the past. My guest is Mariah Brown, who has a deep appreciation and respect for food as medicine and practices as an online women's health coach where she helps women move from exhausted to energized, balance their hormones, and feel turned on by their life, their love, and themselves. So let's get right into it. Welcome to the Hormone Heartbeat Podcast, a podcast about female empowerment through menstrual cycle health, the true heartbeat of your hormone status. With each episode, we'll explore the foundations of hormone health with science, soulful, and heartfelt conversations, a dash of sass, and feminine pizzazz. Our dream is to arm you with exactly what you need to be an unstoppable female force, ready to achieve all that your heart desires and embrace your inner goddess. And here's your host, naturopathic doctor, birth doula, fertility awareness educator, hormone enthusiast, and lover of pretty things, Antoinette Falco. Welcome, Mariah. It is so amazing to have you on today's episode. Mariah and I go way back to when she first started her business with Beyond the Red Tent, and it has just been really awesome to be part of that experience with her. And I am super excited for to have her on today's episode sharing all of her all of her knowledge and wisdom with all of us today. So thank you Mariah for being here. I'm so thrilled to be here and I just have to say, you know, I first found uh, Dr. Falco on her Instagram page and I and I reached out to her and said, "I want to bring your content to women." And so absolutely, it has been uh, such a pleasure to be able to share what you have to offer with women um, around the world for the past year and a half. It's funny because I say to my colleagues and friends, you know, you never know who's watching your Instagram page. So the more you put your message out there, the more you're able to connect with people, you know, anywhere on the globe, which I think is just really a cool experience. Thank you to the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Especially Um, now. Exactly. Let's start by having you share a little bit more about what led you to doing the work that you do, specifically focusing on women's health yeah, and sure. hormone health. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's actually quite a twisting and turning journey because my first career was actually in business and marketing. I was with Procter & Gamble, living in Los Angeles, in business suits and stilettos and airplanes. And then my best friend from high school was pregnant. We were in our early 20s and she asked me to be at her birth. And it was one of those moments where the stars twinkled and the birds sang and I had a calling. And so I took a vacation down to Peru and hiked the Inca Trail. And it was on the third day of the hike where I just decided. And I came back, I let go of my six-figure income, I quit my job, I booked a one-year around-the-world trip and applied to grad school to become a certified nurse midwife. It was actually when I was in West Africa, I was volunteering with midwives in Ghana that I got the letter from Yale that I was accepted. And so I went to Yale for my certified nurse midwifery training and uh, finished that in 2007. And since 2007, I've worked in all different capacities in multiple countries, whether it's you know, federally funded clinics with disenfranchised patient populations and private practices that have a functional medicine twist, hospital birthing centers, you name it, Planned Parenthood. And the thing that was most striking to me is it seemed like no matter where I was working, women were coming in asking questions that in the back of my mind, I just felt this... um, almost sadness that it was as though they didn't have friends and aunties and grandmothers and mothers to talk about kind of not normal, but the, yeah, normal changes that happen in women's bodies. And, and I felt like I spent a lot of my time just teaching women about the normal chapters of life that we go through and some simple things to do about those. And so then uh, Beyond the Red Tent was birthed. And it kind of created itself. We had an idea and it grew like wildfire. And it was really around helping women to feel empowered in community and feeling educated, empowered about what are some of the normal things that happen in their bodies over time and creating that safe container where women can ask women, what have you done? 
Have you been through this? Is this quote unquote normal, which, you know, I don't love the word normal, but that's been the journey. And now here I am a mom of three working from home and co-created and co-running Beyond the Red Tent. And we just put on our first summit and I have my own online course. Finally, it's just been uh, such a fun journey and really coming from a deep calling to serve women in a, in a deep, profound and international way. I didn't know you're quite the world traveler. You've been all over the place and you've had a plethora of life experiences. That's yeah. really amazing uh, and super Great. cool. Thanks. It's been fun. Yeah. I mean, I've worked in women's health in Haiti and Nicaragua and Ghana and but also that around the world trip. Oh my gosh. It was me and a backpack for an entire year. I went around the world. It was probably one of the best gifts I could have ever given myself. Yeah. Wow. And I also want to touch on the part that you said, it's, it's so true. We have lost that piece of women talking with other women about like their hormones. It used to be like women in the village or in like, their communities would talk about, oh, this is like what your period is. And this is like what to expect as you transition into womanhood. And now, you know, I draw back on my experience of, I got my period at 10 years old. And I didn't even know that that was my period because my mom didn't have that conversation with me. So, you know, I love the work that you're doing about creating a platform for these types of conversations to happen. Um, and women, you know, feeling like they can trust other women and feel safe to have absolutely these conversations. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think especially when you have a, a large group of women, it increases the chance of my unique scenario where I'm feeling really alone and like maybe I'm the only one experiencing it, when that woman has the courage to say, hey, here's what I'm going through. Is there anyone else? It must be so empowering and normalizing for her to hear all these other women going, oh yeah, I've experienced that too. And here's what I did. Or for me, when I, had, when I gave birth to my first child, I felt like I had run 30 miles an hour into a brick wall. And even though I had been a midwife for 12 years catching babies, but I would hand them over and then maybe do, you know, a couple postpartum visits, but I had no idea what it was like to be a mom 24 hours a day. And I was so grateful that I had started up a mommy group. And we, I was living in Hawaii at the time and we met at the beach every Thursday. There was maybe 20 moms and all their babies and it was so refreshing to go there and hear the stories and go, oh my God, I'm not the only one. Mm -hmm. But really that comes from, I mean, you go back to that whole village conversation or this concept of the red tent, you know, the, mm -hmm. the tents where, um, you know, my idea of what that represents is the place where women would go when they were menstruating, um, in labor and a place just for women to, to tell one another through stories what their life is like and the women in the village, maybe with their babies and cooking <laughs> and, and just talking with one another about things that are happening in our bodies and in our emotional states and in our sexuality and in our, and we're talking about sex life today. So, mm -hmm. you know, just like, I had no idea that women, some women orgasm through tapping and other women orgasm through circular motion and some women orgasm through nipple stimulation and others it's just a little bit of penetration right at the base of the introitus like I didn't know that because that's not how my body works mm -hmm. let's jump in because sexuality isn't talked about libido certainly isn't talked about you know I think there's this idea that women should have low libidos at a certain point of life and that's just normal and they should deal with it in quotations so I wanted, wanted to hear from you, like what your thoughts are, are when you hear those type of stories. Can you share like maybe why women might have low libido at certain stages of life and what factors can contribute to, to that for women? Sure. So my first question that I would respond with is libido for what? I think based on the chapter of our life that we're in, our desire will change. A woman in her 20s might have a crazy libido for making love quick, often, it's voracious, she's in like a high uh, fertility phase potentially, and it's um, 
I don't know, exciting and there's lots of texting and in lead up and I can't wait to see you. And, and, and so there's that, but then a woman maybe in her late forties, early fifties, sixties, her libido might be for going on a sweet long walk with her partner and holding hands and, and barefoot walking and feeling the mud between her toes and being caressed and feeling really deeply connected. And maybe she likes being touched in very different ways and having foreplay that's totally different. And so the question is, factors that are contributing is the fact that we're forever changing. You think about the menstrual mm -hmm. cycle, our estrogen, our progesterone, our LH, our FSH, it's changing all, every single day throughout the day. Our adrenals are up and down throughout the day. So that's just looking at a snapshot of a day or a month. But now you look at a year and a decade, we women are forever changing dynamic creative beings. And so we have to allow ourselves to acknowledge that what we are turned on to is also dynamic and creative and changing. And there are some chapters talking about factors that we have a lot on our plate. Like those mamas that are postpartum, juggling kids, breastfeeding, your body's recovering from childbirth. Maybe you're still trying to figure out how you're gonna work and how you're gonna hold down the household. You have a lot on your plate and you're feeling exhausted. Your adrenals are being taxed to the max. That HPA access is like, ah, your hormones are definitely different and lower and you're feeling very overtouched. And so libido is going to be very different. Libido at that point might not be that you even want to have sex at all, but that you would do anything for a foot rub. And that's what creates pleasure in your body. And so the, I think the big question is, is libido for what? Can we say that our libido is for pleasure? And right now I'm looking out the window and I'm seeing the way the sun hits the leaves on the trees and the wind is blowing and that can create pleasure in my body. And I have my sweet aromatherapy that I can smell and that's creating pleasure and creating a different type of libido within me. You know, and then I love the concept. I, Susan Weed shared this. This, um, uh, you know, the analogy of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Mm -hmm. So when a caterpillar is doing the transition, it it builds the chrysalis around itself, right? And it is changing from a caterpillar to a butterfly. I think it's so cool that that caterpillar and butterfly have the same exact DNA. It's just a different expression of the DNA. Mm -hmm. And so there's chapters in our life where we are transitioning from the caterpillar to the butterfly. The one big one that I think of is menopause, but also I think the transition into becoming a mother, mm -hmm. it's in some ways that transition. And the cool thing is when, when the quote unquote caterpillar is within the chrysalis, you know what happens? It actually turns to goo. It becomes liquid. And what will happen is it will start to take on the form of a butterfly and then it'll go, oh, no, 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 that's not it. And goes back to goo again. And then it starts forming again up until trying to find this formation of the butterfly it's going to become. And then maybe it becomes goo again. And it goes to this journey until it finds the right variation of here we go, this, the, these colors and the wings, and this is how it's going to be. And then it gets to push its way out of the chrysalis on its own. You cannot cut the chrysalis to help it. It has to get the fluid pumping through its wings, push its own way through the chrysalis so that it can become the butterfly. And I think we have to acknowledge that there are chapters in our life where maybe our libido is changing and maybe our sexuality is changing. Maybe a woman is transforming. Well, actually, I think I'm bisexual. Maybe I think I'm homosexual. Maybe I'm something different. But they're in that chapter of, I'm just in the goo right now. I'm trying to redefine what am I? What do I even like? And what turns me on? Who, who am I becoming during this chapter of life where there's a major transformation and I'm going from a caterpillar to a butterfly? Oh, I love that analogy. Um, mm -hmm. What I'm also hearing is that it sounds like it's quite normal for libido to fluctuate and to change and be like, like you, you said, dynamic. And that's important for women to hear. And it's also important for women to hear, to hear that libido is pleasure, essentially, however you receive pleasure. And that can be, that can be different. 
So you also mentioned about the HPA access and how, you know, yes, women that are postpartum, like busy moms, usually having sexual relations is the bottom of the list of things that they want to be doing or that they have the energy to be doing. Can you talk a little bit more about that HPA access and how it, um, how it affects libido, maybe in a science-y, a layman's term? <laughs> sure, sure. You're talking about the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the adrenals. So often when we think about adrenal fatigue, there's a lot of pressure on the adrenals. And yes, you know, the adrenals are there to give you energy for the day. They're going to pump out cortisol along with adrenaline and other hormones, but cortisol is the one that we think of most often. You're going to wake up in the morning, you want your cortisol to increase so that you can be prepared for your day. And then when it's time to go to bed, you want your cortisol to go down so that you can sleep. And you know it's there for fight, flight, or freeze. So a gazelle out in the Sahara is in um, a pack of gazelles. And there is a reason why all of a sudden one goes, oh, what's that? Pokes its head up because it thinks it hears a lion, right? And what happens is that cortisol spikes, the adrenaline is there, the adrenals kick in so that it can fight, flight, or freeze, or freeze for survival. And then, all, But then here's the other cool thing. In community, one gazelle does it, and then the other gazelles go, oh, maybe I should be doing it too. And then their adrenals kick in. But it's not just the adrenals, right? This is, this, that's for survival. But then you also have the hypothalamus and the pituitary, they're all communicating. So a woman who has high history of trauma, PTSD, the hypothalamus is affected. It's communicating differently with the pituitary and the adrenals. The pituitary is uh, regulating your LH and your FSH, which are the hormones directly related to maturing your egg, your follicle, so that you'll ovulate, and then also um, creating actual ovulation. So if your pituitary is off, well, now you're not ovulating because of course you don't need to be ovulating. You're a gazelle being chased by a lion and you just want to be alive. Who, who could care less if you're going to have an orgasm or ovulate that month, right? It's about, I talk about stress versus bless. If your body is just simply surviving, always under the pressure of stress, it's not worrying about the bless, feel good. Let me get some oxytocin so I can be in love and have an ecstatic orgasm. And then also the pituitary is going to be communicating directly with your thyroid. So stimulating or slowing down the thyroid hormone to pump out more or less thyroid hormone. And then also communicating with the adrenals. So it's all connected. And when we, particularly as women in our society, are overdoing it, we're not doing self-care, we're under a lot of pressure, juggling lots of things. Maybe the pressure is coming from, I don't know if I'm gonna get sick, I'm stuck in traffic, I don't know how I'm going to pay bills. My, my child's screaming and yelling. I'm studying for an exam. My finals are coming up, whatever it may be. I'm watching a scary movie. The news is on in the background telling me all the, the things that are happening in the world. All of that in your body, it's reacting like the gazelle in the Sahara who thinks they hear a lion. Whether it is real or it's imagined, your physiological response in your body is the same. So it's perpetually affecting that HPA access. So when you talk about libido, if your body is just trying to flee from a lion, it could care less about your libido, right? Mm -hmm. Did that answer the question about the yeah, HPA? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Aside from adrenal dysfunction or adrenal fatigue, are there any other hormone conditions or maybe like underlying tests that can help lead to certain hormone conditions that a woman could have done if she has been experiencing you know, low libido and she, she thinks maybe it's her adrenal, maybe it could be something else. Like what would you recommend? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, yes, there's tests out there. You could do the Dutch test, which is going to look at your hormones and downstream metabolites. Obviously with the adrenals, there's a 24 hour adrenal test. Testosterone tends to be linked with libido, although testosterone changes a lot. If you're going to do it via serum, you know, it's controversial, but for some looking at your basic sex hormones can make a difference. Obviously look, checking your thyroid hormones. And I mm -hmm. think most labs, the range that they give for normal thyroid is way too wide. Um, you look at a narrower range and work with a provider that is not only looking at your lab values, but also your symptom presentation. But then also, have you been on birth control? That can dr drastically affect your libido. Have you been on a of antibiotics and that's thrown off your gut health. 
Mm-hmm. Um, or be honest with yourself or you may be overdoing it on alcohol and alcohol is increasing your estrogen and throwing off the overall balance. And then I think the other true test is just simply checking in with yourself. Are you choosing to start your day with what am I grateful for? What am I satisfied with? Where am I experiencing joy in my life? Because often, yes, there are physiological things that we want to take a peek at, but I think more often than not in the conversation around libido, it really comes down to what, how am I acknowledging the pleasure within me and how am I cultivating more of it? And what belief systems do I have? Like I have a visual of a hat, like I'm wearing this hat that I've had on potentially since I was an infant or a teenager or in my younger years that somehow is around my sexuality, such Mm -hmm. as, I'm sexy if I can orgasm, or I should feel turned on by seeing something. And that's just, I just had a conversation with a woman this morning. There was these like beliefs that she had put on Mm -hmm. that was, I should be having an orgasm within this certain amount of time, or it's just clitoral stimulation. I mean, I think, I think a lot of the time the test really can you check in with yourself and be honest with yourself about how you're feeling and can you increase your pleasure centers because the reality is a woman's erogenous zone is her entire body so are you allowing yourself to feel turned on by something that smells good feels good tastes good sounds good (laughs) right yeah yeah or even the other side of it is if you you know if you had a story about sex is only for reproducing and then you maybe are in a relationship where your partner has a different idea of of the sexual practices that that they enjoy and so then it's yeah it's it's this dynamic change i think too in your stage of life and where you're at to adapt and maybe rediscover or reexplore and i love that you said you know rewriting the sto- your story we are all guilty of those stories that run in our brain all day that we believe and then we accept them as truth and it can get us yeah. in a lot of trouble, right? Absolutely. You know, it's when I first developed my online program, I thought I would be doing a deep dive into let's help everyone understand gut health and adrenal health and liver health. And yes, that's a part of it. And yes, we do some simple exercises, but really what I'm watching it being is a lot more around helping women become more aware of the beliefs that they have taken on and trying on new ones yes. and really awakening our, our idea of what pleasure is to being very new and very different and very, and much more broad. Mm-hmm. Changing things up a little bit to like what women can do to improve their libido. I'm curious, are there any foods that you might say that, that are, you know, like good for Yes, we know that we have to figure out what the underlying root cause is, but I'm sure there's some general tips that you can share with, with listeners today. Sure, sure. I'm a big fan of adaptogen elixirs. Mm. So um, I gave you a link. I have some, you know, six or so of my lovely adaptogen elixirs that I like to use. And, and anybody who's listening to this can have those for free. Just um, click on the link. But, you know, like this morning, I have mine right here. What did I put in here? I have some Rossity. I have um, some uh, loose leaf nettles. I put a, a scoop of collagen powder. I put a little bit of chlorella in. I put a, a big scoop of coconut oil, uh, a little bit of nut milk, and a little bit of honey. And I stirred those together. And I'm going to sip on that all day long. So I'm getting yummy adaptogens that are going to help my immune system. They're going to help my adrenal, that HPA access, cool down. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and once again, not be worrying about being chased by a lion, but instead being able to feel uh, safe so that I can then tap into my pleasure centers. So adaptogen elixirs every morning, please, 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 I can't say it enough. It's also about blood sugar maintenance. I'll stop there. Maca is another interesting one. It is an adaptogen and maca is um, great at increasing testosterone levels. And so testosterone does have some relationship with libido. And so that might be something you just get some maca powder, add it into your smoothie, add it into your adaptogen elixir. The one caveat is if you have PCOS or one of those kind of hyperandrogen mm-hmm. predispositions already, well, and now you're increasing your testosterone, is that really what you need? So in some scenarios, maca might not be the best. And 
in the adaptogen conversation, I mean, ashwagandha is great if your thyroid is low. You know, some cordyceps is going to give you a little bit of boost of energy. Shatavari is great to just increase your juiciness and your libido. So there's that variety. And I think the third, so adaptogen elixirs, maca. And the third thing I think is just a food that excites you. Think about a food that when you, like for me, if oh, when we lived in Hawaii and I could harvest those fresh mangoes from the tree and just like take a bite out of a ripe, juicy mango, for me, that makes me feel turned on. It brings out so much pleasure in my body or thinking about having fresh green papaya salad. <laughs> I mean, whatever. So good. <laughs> Yeah, whatever it is for you that you go, I love that food. And obviously, foundationally, you're going to try to keep the gluten and the dairy and the sugar and the alcohol. I was going to say, does chocolate count? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Chocolate, especially if it's 70% or more, it's a dark chocolate, not one of the wax-filled fake milk chocolate. Not chocolate. (laughs) Yeah, like a good quality dark chocolate. A chocolate's an adaptogen, right? And um, sure, if you love chocolate, I say go. <laughs> well, I like hearing that. I like when practitioners say like chocolate is good. <laughs> then you don't because then you take away that guilt. I think guilt gets at you too when you eat a food that you're like, oh, I shouldn't be eating it. But if it brings you joy, if it makes you happy, if it's it's if it's pleasurable, or as sometimes I say, oh, this gives me a food orgasm. <laughs> Yeah, my absolutely. favorite thing to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and hopefully it's within moderation. Like if you know yeah. <laughs> it's really not good for your body, is there another food out there that really excites you and it also happens to be good for you? Yeah. So aside from food, are there any other lifestyle factors? Um, maybe some additional supplements. I know we talked a lot about adaptogens, which are. Yeah. So amazing. Ashwagandha is one of my personal favorites um, yeah. that can help women with their libido. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So adaptogens, I think that's really an important one. And, you know, a couple others that I didn't mention, ginseng and even mm-hmm. CBD. I, I have a, I know in Canada talking about CBD is a little bit different than in the U.S., but I like hemp pure because it's a CBD that's been tested to be a hundred percent THC free. Mm-hmm. And CBD can be another great adaptogen, just once again, to cool down any of the anxious feelings, especially any anxious or feelings of shame or, or fear of disappointment that come up for you around sexuality and libido, helping to kind of calm that nervous system in the adaptogen conversation is, is worthy. And then obviously exercise. Uh, one thing with exercise is for some people, if you're already your HPA access is just shot and you're like trying to fit in exercising. You're doing a a lot of high endurance athletic activity. Like you want to go for a run. Well, sure. That exercise can help increase your testosterone level and create some vitality, give you that shoot of a short of a shot of endorphins. But a couple things, number one is you're all of a sudden going for a run and is your adrenal system going, wait a minute, where's the lion? Why am I running all of a sudden? What's going on? What, mm-hmm. why do I, who, who am I running from? And all of a sudden you're kind of exacerbating that feeling of not being safe, number one. Number two, endorphins feel good, but the role of endorphins is to um, subdue pain. So the reason why someone who can run a marathon without pain is they've got that endorphin from the runner's high, but then the next day they crash and they've got injury. And so I think it's a really fine line for people doing real high endurance athletic activity is, is the endorphin rush serving you and really truly you're one of those where it helps stress reduction and increases your libido maybe, but for many, I think it's actually uh, exacerbating the adrenal fatigue. And so Mm -hmm. instead in body movement, can you do walking? Can you do, you know, Tai Chi, yoga, yoga, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of more gentle body movement. And then barefoot walking, I'm, I'm a huge advocate mm. of barefoot walking. You go out, it's going to be soothing. You get to have the concepts of forest bathing. I think it's um, Shinrin Roku is the, term in, is the term in in Japan. I heard Dr. Sears speak and he was talking about forest bathing and how, mm. you know, when you've had a really stressful day, one of the best things you can do is get out in nature where it's quiet. And that's going to help you ground to the earth. It's going to help the adrenals go, ah, okay, I'm okay. Hey, wait, there, I feel really turned on because it's beautiful. 
and I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to survive. I get to experience pleasure right now. And particularly if you're barefoot, well, now your feet are grounding to the earth. You get to absorb those yummy minerals and nutrients from the earth through your feet. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I think that I haven't touched on is aromatherapy. So with Beyond the Red Tent, we designed a female harmony blend specifically with a aromatherapy company. It's a roll-on. And it has rose and jasmine and lavender and langwang and, and you know, just those yummy scents that that often create a higher libido and sense of pleasure within the body. So also playing around with, you know, I, I love in my, in my online program, one of the activities that I have the women do is just simply around enhancing awareness of our senses. So having an exercise where you're having something prepared that tastes good, smells good, feels good, sounds good, and just simply going on a journey of exploration with mm-hmm. different sensations. Um, and so that can um, improve libido from the perspective of being curious and open to different ways that pleasure is experienced in your body. So once again, libido for what? Because right now I might really love soft touch with a feather and tomorrow I'm more turned on by the the feeling of biting into a strawberry and it's all great. I love that exercise. That's a good way to explore for women to explore their bodies and what they like and what they might enjoy. It's fun. And some do it with their couples and some do it solo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going back to adaptogens, are there any specific, you know, forms like, you know, I believe you studied some like herbal medicine. So maybe you can speak to types of adapt. Like should women look for powders, teas? Should they look for capsules? Should they look for tinctures? Um, Does it matter? Like what would you recommend there? I know. That's a good question. I don't have a specific philosophy around whether it should or shouldn't be in tincture or powder form. I think some herbalists really think it's very important how something is processed or um, what delivery system. I'm not sure I'm one of those. I love rasa tea. I mm-hmm. drink it every day. Um, I also keep cacao powder in the house and I have um, some adaptogens that are in tincture form. You know, I've been taught that you don't necessarily want any herb put in grain alcohol, but mm, I don't think I have a preference one way or the other. Uh, I trust that um, if you're a woman listening to this and you have a strong intuitive hit, or something like your body really is repelling the idea of something, well, listen to that. You know, I love, oh my gosh, when I open up my jar, you know, when I get any fresh herbs, I always transfer them into glass jars because I mm-hmm. just, the idea of plastic mm-hmm. and endocrine disruptors, I want them out of my home. So I keep all my nettles in glass jars. And every time I open up that jar, I smell it and it, like my whole body says, yes. Mm-hmm. And so that nettle infusion, I know it's doing a great thing for my liver and my, and my body needs it. And so I add that into my adaptogen elixir. I know I learned that if you, for tincture specifically, if you taste, if you take a couple of drops and it like really like repulses you and it's something that you, you like can't take, like usually it's your body saying no. And if on the other hand, if you take a tincture and you really enjoy it and you're craving it and you want more of it, then that's, you know, another sign, a sign from your body that that's a good one, a good one for you. I know sometimes sure. I might like one and sometimes I might not like one. And I think that's completely normal when it comes to, when it comes to herbal medicine. And I think it's fair for all women to feel empowered that you are the yeah. best person to answer the questions for your body. I mean, of course you go out and sift through information and there's so much information out there. Find a practitioner that you're going to invest in and say, I trust you and give them four, eight, 12 months, but also use discernment. Okay. This practitioner I've chosen to trust Mm -hmm. this podcast, this, whatever it might be. And I'm going to trust in them for a period of time and they don't live in my body. So I get to use discernment and check in with my own intuition to say whether or not this is right for me right now, knowing that right now is going to change. Tomorrow I'm different and tonight I'm different. Mm -hmm. 
I love that you highlighted on that intuition piece because I think that's that's a part in women's health that does not get talked about enough. And it really is that piece to empowering women to make the the choices for their health that are that, that feel right and that are that they that they can get on board with. Yeah. Um, so sexual health and sexuality is very much about creating healthy relationships with ourselves as women, which then translates to healthy relationships with our partners. Can you share some additional tips for how women can thrive on that journey to having healthy sexual health, starting like with themselves and then maybe with their partners? Is there anything more that you can share that you, yeah, um, I know you've shared a bunch, but I love for us to get into some of the more nitty gritties. Yeah, absolutely. I think I can think of four that are kind of some nitty gritty. So number one, when I heard this, it made so much sense. An average woman takes 20 minutes to the point of engorgement. So what I'm talking about is uh, a man will have an erection, okay? And it is a very blatant outward sign that he is turned on and ready, okay? A woman has kind of the equivalent of, of an erection being engorged. Her clitoris will become engorged. The labia, will, you'll see more blood flow, maybe some different coloration from all the blood flow, a little bit more uh, full. But in general, it takes a woman uh, up to 20 minutes just of foreplay and touch and stimulation and, to reach the place of engorgement. And now we're at the starting point. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes women that are struggling with, I don't, know have an or- I don't know how to have an orgasm, part of it is women take a little bit more time. They need a little bit more caress in different parts of their body just to get to that place of feeling really turned on. And obviously that changes based on where they are in their life. So that's number one. Number two is self-pleasuring. I really want to encourage all women to be open to the idea of self-pleasuring, i.e. masturbating. Um, You know, many have grown up with, whether it's familial or religious or societal pressures and -hmm. expectations of whether that is or is not okay. I'm going to tell you that this is your only body that you have for this lifetime. So why not explore it and find ways that you um, experience pleasure? One, because it feels good and and it has health benefits. (laughs) But number two- And why not? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. And you're going to be that much better at when you are with a partner, you're able to communicate with him or her what you enjoy. So um, 20 minutes to engorgement, self-pleasuring, obviously communication. Um, The more we can stay in a place of curiosity and non-judgment, just open communication with our partners as we are like, I don't know. I heard this thing about female ejaculation. I've never done it. I don't even know if I could. Are you open to exploring with me? Let's just explore something and and communicate Mm -hmm. along the way about this feels good, this doesn't feel good, can we try this new thing? And making sure that you communicate with your partner ahead of time. I'm going to try this this new, try something on, and I might try to be a little bit more vocal with you. And I just am going to ask that you not take it personal. This isn't me saying you're not doing a good job. This is me just exploring my own body. So hopefully they are not hearing um, when you're saying stop, for instance, they're not hearing, oh, I'm doing a bad job. Yes. What they're hearing is, wow, I'm with an empowered woman who's willing to explore her body and I'm doing a really good job at helping her journey of pleasure. Which in and the end the, could be more of a turn on, right? Totally. For both people. Yeah. Um, and then the fourth thing, I love this website. It's called OMG Yes. If you have not checked them out, I wish I had an affiliate relationship with this company because I'm talking about it. I love it. It's OMG. Yes. And um, you can buy uh, access as a membership at at this point, there's two seasons. It's really professionally done. It's quite graphic, but they interviewed 20,000 women, um, very research-based and just explored like what turns different women on and, and specifically how do they, how, what type of touch do they like? And they categorize it in, in different categories. So it's definitely worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to share that, you know, in the work that I do, when we're, when we're talking about, you know, using fertility awareness method for contraception and the rules are or the recommendation are to abstain during your fertile window. Well, during your fertile window are the times when women 
have like the highest libido. And so often our conversation is, okay, how can we, how can you still explore and still satisfy that, like that pleasure and that craving without it being, you know, traditional intercourse with penetration that you think of, right? And this is where masturbation comes in and, you know, mutual masturbation can be a really effective tool for couples in that when they're in their fertile window. So I love that you touched on that and you talked about, you know, we're, we're really talking about, there are so many different ways to talk about sex, to talk about sexuality, to pleasure ourselves. Yeah. So I think this is just really good, good conversation. That maybe that's time where you're playing around with oral sex or you're playing around with toys. And I mean, you know, there's, it doesn't mean that there's no sexual contact. It's the time that you get to be very turned on and also very creative. Creative. Yeah. Yeah. And women, we're so good at that, right? We're really good at being creative. (laughs) Absolutely. So I hear this often from women in my practice who they're burnt out, they're raising kids, they're working full-time jobs. They say they have no energy for intercourse and they feel guilty because they know it's an important part of their relationship. So what advice or support can you offer women who are in that space and, you know, feeling that, that pressure or that guilt? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I can relate. I mean, I have three young children. I think for eight years, I've been either pregnant or breastfeeding. And there have been, while also being an entrepreneur from home, and there have definitely been chapters where I just felt totally overtouched and burnt out. Particularly, you know, for this chapter of breastfeeding, when I'm pregnant, I'm on fire. I'm, you know, like so sensual and so sexual. But when I'm breastfeeding, I don't really like my nipples to be touched. And there are times where I just, I, I, I have not had desire. And so, you know, what I can tell you is there's hope. There's ways to turn it around. I have experienced it myself with, you know, doing a deep dive into your gut health and your adrenal mm-hmm. health and your liver health and your, and your thyroid health so, and with those adaptogen elixirs so that you can set yourself up physiologically for the most success. And I think it's really important as women that first of all, stop faking orgasm. Pretty much everybody's done it. It, it does not do you a service, does not do your partner a service and does not do women a service, okay? We need to stop that. And there's value, I think, in being able to say, I'm not gonna make love when I'm not turned on. And you have an agreement with your partner that when you do, it's because you desire it. So that when they are making love with you, they're not questioning, oh man, maybe she's just laying there and and like taking one for the team. But that they know you're doing this because you genuinely desire it and me right now. And you get to feel authentic to yourself. And sometimes that means I'm not into it right now, but I'm open to seeing if I can get there. And so playing with extended foreplay, mm-hmm. um, maybe that's really getting clear on what are your love language? What's your love language? What's your partner's love language? And can you allow communicating in your love languages throughout the day and see that as foreplay? And can you be open to, I don't feel turned on right now, but I'm, I'm open to getting a massage or I'm open to taking a shower together and seeing if I do become more turned on. Or sometimes, you know, I don't feel turned on right now, but I do feel turned on by the idea of pleasing you. So I'm okay with a quickie. And the other thing is saying to your partner, listen, I'm in a chapter of my life where it's just all too much. I'm in a, we're going to have an agreement that I will engage with you sexually when I really desire it so that you know, whenever we're doing this, I really desire you. And I give you absolute permission to self-pleasure as well. Mm-hmm. And you give me permission to self-pleasure. So maybe sometimes it's, you can do it while I watch, or you can, I give you permission to do it on your own because maybe your partner is in a place where he or she has very different sexual desire. And so you can, in a trusting and loving way, give one another permission. It's a partnership, right? It's a, it's, it might be a marriage, it's commitment, whatever it is. And so having those agreements and those open lines of communication are so important. So, so important. And I think the last piece is just remembering that our, particularly for women, our erogenous zone is our entire body. Yes. And if you're in that chapter of life where you're working full time, the laundry and the dishes are piled over the top, you're now homeschooling kids, 
and you're breastfeeding and you're pregnant and oh by the way your body's still recovering from all the changes it went through from childbirth or whatever it is for you go back to the idea that that we're just enhancing pleasure right so is there a place of your body maybe not your vulva and not your nipples but is there a place in your body that you still do enjoy being touched and can that create pleasure within you so that you can respond to your partner if he or she is at a different chapter of desire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well said. You really put that in a way that is so relatable for lots of women. So thank you. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So this has been a great interview. I've even learned a few things, I will admit. So thank you for that. And where can women go to find out more about you and what you do? Maybe you can even share a little bit about about your course that, you, that you're creating. I'd love for you to, to share that. Sure. I mean, at this point, there's no flashy websites or sales tactics. I am just handpicking women that I really feel like are the right fit for my online program. I cap it at eight women so that it can be intimate. It's um, an ongoing enrollment. You can enroll at any time, but there, at this point, there will never be more than eight women in it. And if you'd like to learn more about my specific work that I do, I'll tell you that my mission is to work with women to help them move from exhausted to energized, balance their hormones, and feel turned on by their life, their lover, and themselves. So if you're in a chapter of your life where you're waking up just feeling like you cannot feel excited about the day, in the afternoon you're exhausted, you're waking in the middle of the night with buzzing, but yet you feel exhausted, your hormones feel out of whack, your menstrual cycle is off, your PMS is horrible, you've got cystic acne, your libido's off, whatever it might be, your gut health feels like it needs some love. We do a deep dive into all the physiological stuff. So of course, we're going to address gut health and liver health and adrenal health and thyroid health. And then we do a really deep dive into our belief systems that are currently affecting our overall vitality and zest in mm -hmm. our day, but also those belief systems that are affecting our experience of pleasure and our experience of libido so that we can once again feel turned on, not just by our sexual centers, but by our life and our lover and ourselves so that we can try on new belief patterns where we truly do feel sexy inside and out and we see the world as a very sexy place. So we wake up feeling ready for life. And so I walk through women, it's an eight week online program that has modules. We have a live call every week where we're together interacting and then there's also one-on-one -on -one time and a private Facebook group. So if you'd like to explore that, I do exploration calls. We sit down for an hour together and I just get to talk with you. What's working? What's not working? What are you wanting to change in your life, in your experience? If we feel like it's a good fit, I invite you to join the course. If we don't feel like it's a good fit, I've been working with online women's health practitioners from around the world for quite a while. And my promise to you is I will have a solution for you and I'll point you in the direction of whom I think is the best fit. Like for instance, with Dr. Antoinette Falco, if I feel like a woman is really, it's around fertility and, and maybe some byproducts of being on hormonal contraception for a long time and she's really just needing some physiological support, I'll point them in her direction and she works virtually. And so it really doesn't matter where a woman is geographically. Um, so anyway, and then also there's also the Beyond the Red Tent group, which is um, not my personal program, but it is a, pro, uh, a group that I co-created and co-run with Missy. And there is a big Facebook group. It's called Beyond the Red Tent. There's almost 14,000 women in that one. We also have a smaller, much more intimate membership where we get very real. We interview experts in the big group, and then we interview them in the smaller group, and we get into the real nitty gritty. And it's um, just a very sweet membership where there's a feeling of community and uh, really supporting one another. Um, so anyway, those are some options. Thank you so much for that. You are, you are such a wealth of knowledge and you're one of those people that's really good at connecting people, connecting people to other people. And so I think for the listeners, you know, there's benefit just in on hopping on an exploration call. They're going to learn like whether or not the program is right for you, they're going to learn like where what direction they should take in their, um, on their health journey. 
which I think we can all benefit from that little extra, you know, navigation, I guess. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So hard to do on our own. So hard. Yeah. And I think we are all flooded with information. Yes. So often it's not necessarily more information that we need. We need to find someone that we really trust to lead us and give us practical steps to get to the solution that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. And part of that is education, but you know, the I, accountability piece too, and having someone. Right. Yeah. And it, for them. and I think there's some programs out there where you buy it and it's just like here, it's in the abyss and you get to do it in your own timing. And then you mm-hmm. talk to a woman a year later and she hasn't even used any of it. it I think there is a need for real handholding and yeah. step by step, you're making a commitment. I'm giving you this module once you've finished the last one and we've checked in on the live call to mm-hmm. go through and process wins and questions. Yeah. Um, and so there's definitely some accountability there. And obviously not a big time commitment. I also acknowledge we are all overwhelmed with all the things to do in a day and a week. We don't need more things that take a big chunk of our time. So really streamlining what are the most important nuggets so that you can create action and get results quickly. That's really important to me because I'm all, I can relate. I'm a busy mom too. Mm-hmm. I'm a busy mom. I'm a busy mom producer. I have three businesses and three young kids and a husband and a home and it's a lot. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Mariah, for being on today's episode. You've been mm-hmm. wonderful just like hearing you speak so passionately passionately about things that you that you do and what you love to talk about is just a gift for me. So thank you so much. And um, yeah, it was great chatting with you today. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Hormone Heartbeat Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so you can be notified of all future episodes. And don't forget to check out the show notes for all guest details and your free downloadable goodies. Your feedback is important to me, so please, please leave a review so women can find and be empowered by this knowledge. If you have a topic you'd like to see discussed on the show or have a recommendation for guests you'd like to see interviewed, please get in touch by emailing the Hormone Heartbeat Podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.